You're listening to Real Talk Radio with Nicole Antoinette, episode 63. Welcome to Real Talk Radio with Nicole Antoinette. That's me, the podcast that's filled with refreshingly honest conversations about the wonderful mess of being human. More than anything, this show is home to honest conversations between real people. We're not trying to sell you anything. We're not trying to get you to fix yourself or your life or follow any kind of life hacks or anything like that. Instead, it's a space to just be real, to take a deep breath and talk about all the behind the scenes stuff that I think isn't talked about enough, like our fears, challenges, and insecurities, our secret dreams, how it really feels to try and make changes in your life, what happens when you don't accomplish a goal, and just the day-to-day truths of being human in a crazy world. As your host, it's so much fun for me to sit down with everyone from athletes, writers, and entrepreneurs to parents, coaches, activists, change makers, world travelers, adventurers, artists, the list goes on and on, and to bring those conversations to you. And fair warning real quick that this is an adult podcast, which means that we often cover adult topics and use adult language. My hope for you as a listener of this show is that it makes you laugh, think, and just feel less alone. Because honestly, that's all that I ever want to know that I'm not alone. Something else that's unique about this show is that it's now 100% community supported, which means no ads, no sponsors, and no outside influence. Just us here together sharing stories. The show is made possible by listeners like you who have pledged $8 or more per eight episode season. To do this, we use a platform called Patreon. And not only does your support go toward the funding goal that we need to hit in order to keep the show going beyond the end of 2016, but your support also earns you access to exclusive bonus content. The bonus content includes conversations and interviews with wonderful guests that aren't aired publicly, plus you get access to the Squad Pod, a shorter version of Real Talk Radio where the guests are you, the members of the community. And coming in mid-December, there's something extra special happening for those of you who are in the Patreon community. A handful of your favorite past guests will come back to share a Real Talk end-of-year recap, including details about their 2016 successes, failures, and lessons learned, as well as dreams and goals for 2017. And all of that will only be available to our Patreon support squad. So to get access to that, plus over 20 hours of other bonus content, just go to patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette. That's patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette. And at the end of this episode, you'll actually get to meet one of our community members who joins me for a quick and hilarious game of Would You Rather and shares how great it is to be part of our Patreon community. So if you believe in this Real Talk revolution, like I do, and if you're in the position to be able to support the show, I can't tell you how much that would mean to me. Right now, the show is scheduled and funded through the end of 2016, so basically for this season, season eight. And if we meet our funding goal by the end of the year, then it will be able to continue into 2017 too. And you can totally help make that happen. So thanks so much for your support, and now let's dive into today's episode. Today, you'll get to meet Teeny Lamoth. Teeny is a pie baker, founder of Teeny Pies, and author of the cookbook Teeny's Tour of Pie, which details her vagabond pie journey and offers over 60 delicious pie recipes. Born and raised in Colorado, she grew up making pie alongside her mom. After college, she spent five years as a working actor in Chicago, and in the fall of 2011, after rediscovering her love for all things pie, Teeny left Chicago and spent a year apprenticing under lady bakers at different pie shops across the United States. In 2013, she started Teeny Pies, a handmade seasonal pie company based in Washington, D.C., where she sold her signature pies at farmer's markets, coffee shops, and local restaurants. Recently, she's relocated her pie business to Cincinnati, Ohio, with the hope of opening her first brick-and-mortar pie shop sometime in 2017. 
In this episode, she shares stories from her year-long apprenticeship in pie shops across America, telling us what she learned about baking and business along the way. We talk about being vulnerable, trying new things, tips for baking the perfect pie at home, and more. She even shares the delightful story of how she got surprise married and unknowingly baked all of her own wedding pies. We did have a few audio issues with this episode. Oh, Skype, the joys of Skype. But it's wonderful nonetheless, and I hope that you enjoy it. Awesome. We are good to go. Teeny, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, so now I need to hear the story of the name Teeny. Tell me about that. <laughs> um, so I was I was a preemie. I was born two and a half months early. I weighed two pounds, zero ounces, and I've just been teeny ever since. Oh my gosh, that's so small. <laughs> it was really tiny. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, my mom really had no choice. She was like, yep, this is the smallest one. <laughs> that, oh my gosh. And, and now that name has stuck and now you are with it forever. I love it. So it good. sure has. Yeah, it's actually, it has made it easier to, um, people have a very, a very easy time remembering my name, which has been like super helpful. <laughs> well, yeah. And you're also, I bet in school, right? Like for me, there was like a thousand Nicoles, right? So. Right. right. <laughs> That's so funny. Um, so tell me something that you are totally obsessed with right now. What are you excited about? Um, I'm actually, uh, well, it, it is, it was yesterday, but I was totally obsessed with Halloween. I, I get like the biggest kick out of uh, Halloween as a holiday. My husband and I dressed up as uh, young Frankenstein. So uh, my my husband Aaron looks a lot like Gene Wilder. He's got the like crazy curly hair, and I got to do the like Bride of Frankenstein um, beehive, and it was uh, we really we really nailed it. <laughs> That's so fun. Have you always been into Halloween? I have. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, I went to school for theater, so I have an acting degree. And so the idea that like, there's an entire holiday where you get to dress up as a different character and then are rewarded with candy, uh, is pretty awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Um, do you remember what you were for your first couple of Halloweens when you were a baby? Um, I know I was a pumpkin for a lot, a lot of my like childhood um just because my mom made me this like excellent pumpkin costume that she could just like stuff with like blankets to make me really fat um and then I remember my favorite childhood costume was a ladybug so again my mom like was all about making our own costumes and so she made me the cutest ladybug costume that I think I wore as a grown-up too because it was one of those that you just like it was essentially like a like a bib, so you just like put it on over your shoulders. And I'm pretty sure I rocked it as a, I rocked it as a kid, and I rocked it as an adult. <laughs> That's so fun. I'm trying to think. My I think it was my first Halloween, maybe my second. Um, I was a yellow M and M, and my mom. So my mom had this like little M M&M and M costume for me, whatever. And the, as the story goes, my parents had a really big fight about. My mom wanted to put the M, these like little M stickers on my cheeks, and yeah. um, my father was like, "Those are gonna hurt so much when you take them out." You know, like ripping duct tape off. And I right. was like, "But we need it for the pictures. We need it for the pictures." So they did it, and apparently, I did scream forever once they took them off. But my mom said was worth it because the the pictures I still have the pictures and I no longer remember that that was really painful so 
you were like, this is worth it in my mood too. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I have it. such mixed, I don't know if mixed feelings is the right word about Halloween. Maybe I'm just like a total party pooper, but I have a hard time with holidays. I feel the same way about New Year's Eve, like situations where I feel like there's a lot of pressure to have a good time. Like it's supposed to be so fun or you, I don't know. <laughs> I just tend to be like, don't tell me what to do. Don't tell me like I have to have such a good time. <laughs> oh man. You're like, I don't know. This is a whole new year. It's scary. Yeah, right. I, I don't exactly. know that I want to celebrate yet. <laughs> yeah. So drop me into your real life. Tell me how you spent the first hour of your day today. Um, it's funny. So I'm at a sort of interim place in my life right now. Um, my husband and I just moved from Washington, D.C., um, and we have spent this summer deciding where we want to move next in order to open a pie shop. So... I am a I am a baker. I'm a pie baker. And when I lived in DC, I, I worked out of shared kitchens. I sold at farmers markets. Uh, I had my own business called Teeny Pies. And so there my life was like full of pie. I was up to my elbows in flour every single day. Um, I worked six days a week just making, you know, countless, countless pies and then selling them. And we've spent the summer choosing between Denver, which is where my family is from, and Cincinnati, which is where my husband's family is from. And we have just come to our decision. Uh, We chose Cincinnati, which I'm super excited about. Um, But it has been a, it's been a funny summer for me. So so I have spent the majority of the summer working on the business side of things, um, which I am admittedly like the worst at. (laughs) So it's good that I have these uh, these sort of six months to to figure out what it what it looks like to write a business plan and to work out all the numbers in my head and go into this this next move with a, a better understanding of what of what logistically it should look like when we when we move so I can hit the gra- hit the ground running essentially what made you decide to leave DC um, a couple of things, actually. We, we don't have any family there. Uh, we moved to D.C. because my husband works uh, for PBS, and so they are, they are situated in Virginia. So that's why we moved to D.C. in the first place, um, was for his job. And while I found great success there, um, the fact that we didn't have any family and the fact that it was very, very expensive um, made it so that we didn't actually envision a sort of a lifetime there. Uh, so we decided before we got much further into the process of like owning and running teeny pies that we decided to that we needed to decide where to move. Yeah, I I mean, I've moved around a ton, so I definitely know how that goes. When yeah. you guys were deciding between Cincinnati and Denver, what was the what were the final criteria that made you choose Cincinnati? Um, a couple of things. Uh, like I said, we were super excited to be close to family. Again, it, when you're in a small business situation, the, 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 the better your support network, the like better and easier it is to, to start something. Um, so we were looking for that sort of built-in support network. Um, and we were also looking for cost of living um, because leaving D.C., we realized that, you know, we don't need to make a lot of money, but we do want to live in a place where the cost of living isn't quite so exorbitant. And so um, Denver has just 
has been through this incredible uh, sort of crazy growth spurt. And so, I mean, I want to say they have like 20,000 people moving to Denver um, a month. And so (laughs) the housing prices have skyrocketed. And so the idea of trying to jump into that market when it's like at the peak of its sort of existence right now was really intimidating. It would have been just a, a like, crazy fight to be successful and if there's one thing I want to do is like I I want this uh experience of opening an actual brick and mortar pie shop to be uh exciting and and not so I guess hard I mean (laughs) I know it's going to be hard no matter what but the idea of like jumping into this like crazy market where the chances of success were much much lower uh, um was really sort of intimidating and sad because I would have loved to be able to go home, but the the market just wasn't right. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think your point is, is really smart that it's going to be hard, of course, right? Like yeah. <laughs> any entrepreneurial things like obviously are always hard and making something like that successful, but it's like, there's definitely something to be said for doing what you can to stack the deck in your favor, right? And not right. making it right. hard. Like it's going to be hard no matter what. So why make it harder than necessary? And being able to, you know, take a step back and say, okay, you know, we want a brick and mortar shop. We definitely want to do this. What needs to be true in order for this to have the best chance of success, right? Even if that means moving and even if it means moving somewhere that you're not familiar or maybe where, you know, your family isn't or these kind of things like it's I don't know I I like the honesty of okay well there have to be sacrifices right you can't have all the things right exactly and and what's lovely is that Cincinnati is having this sort of like food and small business renaissance which is like you know they're this this smaller smaller scale city but they're still a city and they're sort of like transforming their small business scene and their neighborhoods into this like vibrant community. And the idea of being able to like jump in there on the ground level and like grow a shop within a community that's excited about small business and excited about food in particular is like a dream come true. Like that, that checks off all the boxes on my list of of wanting to, to be in a place where not only am I successful, but I like I love being a part of the community that I have like found myself in. Mm-hmm. I think it's super important. And yeah. like I spent the summer writing my business plan and and part of that is looking at the community that you want to be a part of and uh I f- I found it in Cincinnati. It was like, "Oh, great. This makes me excited to go there." So, I mean, there's so much about pie that I want to talk to you about, right? And and you have (laughs) such a fun, interesting story. But going back, I guess, kind of the foundational question, why pie instead of something else? Um, I love this question. I, I am a, we, I grew up in a pie family. So this has been just like generations of family lady bakers making pies. Uh, so I learned from my mom who learned from her mom who learned from her mom. And so, I mean, there's literally so many pictures of me as a, as a kid standing on a stool next to my mom, using a miniature rolling pin, rolling out crust next to my mom, who's making the bigger version of, of this pie. And so we, my brother and I grew up asking for birthday pies, uh, all of my aunts like get together and, and make a very specific type of pie 
pie for every Thanksgiving. Like we're just a pie family. Um, and so when I was trying to think what I wanted to do with pastry, uh, I thought long and hard about it. I, I considered pastry school, um, but when it came to when it came right down to it, I knew that I wouldn't get the sort of specific pie education, small business education that I wanted from pastry school. It was going to be much broader if I went to school, and so I figured I could narrow my focus um, and and sort of explore a journey towards pie, which I I knew that I I loved because it was something that I that I connected with on a really on a really sort of like base level, pie is, pie is in my, in my blood. <laughs> so you mentioned having an acting background. Um, mm-hmm. Where did the transition come from, from doing that to then saying, actually, I want to bake pie? Um, it's funny. I, I think they're both really creative ventures. Um, so I was living in Chicago at the time that I made the, the switch to pie um, and I started baking on the weekends. I had a CSA from a really lovely local company called Shelly and Irv's uh, CSA, and they sent us uh, a pie pumpkin one week. And it sort of reawakened this memory of the fact that I was good at making pie. And so <laughs> I started making one pie after the other, like one pie a weekend turned into four pies a weekend, and we'd had friends over and. I think you can only hear so often that you should do something about your passion, that you should follow a dream no matter where it leads to. Uh, you can only hear that so often before you're like, yeah, I I should do that. I don't know what it looks like yet, but I think I should do something about it. So so that's that's sort of where the switch happened for me. So then, and obviously that's when you were deciding, okay, do I want to go to pastry school? Okay. And then to decide not to do that. So what did you tell me what you did instead? Um, So essentially I created an apprenticeship tour for myself. I called it the tour of pie and I reached out to lady bakers across the United States um, asking if I could apprentice at their pie shops. So I think I, I think I emailed like 40, 40 pie shops total and and 10 of them said yes so I sort of I created a a trip across the country um, based on these pie shops where these these women business owners uh, had said yes to an apprentice so essentially I would apprentice for a month at each of these pie shops Um, and and in addition to the everyday baking and like learning of how to bake in bulk because it's very it's very different to bake in bulk uh as opposed to home baking like that was a big transition that I needed to go through um but at the same time like once a week these these business owners these women um would would sit down with me and talk about small business so it was it was essentially like a twofold trip one I got to learn the basics of of baking pie professionally and two I got to sort of find these mentors in, in these women across the country who who owned who owned their own small business and were willing to talk me through the process of one day becoming just like them. So when you sent out those 40 emails, what did you say in the emails? Like what was your pitch? 
Um, my pitch was, <laughs> my pitch was funny. Um, Number one, I don't think bakers read their email very often. And so it was a lot of like tortured emails that were like, I kept, I kept waiting for a response and, and, and not getting any for, for a really long time. But essentially my pitch was, Hey, I, I am a, I'm a home baker. I'm passionate about pie. I essentially think that I want to be you when I grow up. Um, would you be willing to host me for a month as your apprentice? I will work for free. I'm fast in the kitchen. I'm excited to learn. And the only thing that I ask is that you sit down and talk with me about the basics of small business owning. Because at the end of the day, I want to open a pie shop. Um, That is my ultimate dream and the ultimate goal for this trip. So if you're excited about this, then I'm excited about this. And let's get together and see where it leads was essentially my pitch. And so of the 40, you said that 10 said yes. Yeah. Okay. So then you, what, were planning to spend a month at each, so like 10 Mm -hmm. months on the road? Was this by yourself or with your husband? It was by myself. Um, it, It took about a year. There were a couple of places that hosted me for longer. Like, I really felt connected with the people that I was working with, um... And I tried to work it out so that in each of the places that I went, I was staying with friends or I was staying with family. And so anywhere where I could extend my trip for a week at a time, um, I tried to do, especially if I was like really enjoying the vibe of the place. Like in Boston, I worked at Pizzi Pies and I feel like that's where I made all my baker friends. I like finally... (laughs) I finally felt like a professional baker and they sort of welcomed me with open arms in a way that made me want to stick around for just a little bit longer. Like they, they made me feel like I, I was just one of the gang and it was, I think pretty important to my overall like professional kitchen education because it's sort of crazy working in professional kitchens. And this was a a moment in time where I felt very secure and was able to absorb a lot because I wasn't homesick and I wasn't, you know, sad or scared or it, it wasn't quite so new finally. And so I, I extended my trip uh, where I could. So essentially it took about a year. So before you got started, um, did you have any like really specific fears going into it? Um, you know, yes. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I went to school for acting, but I think at my core, I'm, I'm a homebody. I think I love routine. I love, uh, the security and the like friendships that are created when you live and like absolutely know a place. And, you know, I had lived in Chicago for five years I had wonderful friends. I had a wonderful like theater community, but I also had this like I had a home to sort of like hide in when I needed to when I needed downtime, when I needed to not be like in a in a show. Uh, and so the idea of not having a home base for a year was really frightening. And I knew I was going to learn a lot, and I knew that however scared I could, however scared I was. Uh, the, the end result was going to trump all of those fears. But at the same time, uh, I definitely had them. Uh, I was very scared t- 
to be in a professional setting. Like, uh, like I said, it's very different than home baking. And so the idea that I, I may, I maybe wasn't going to be good enough or that at the end of the day, I was going to find that I didn't necessarily like pie enough to make it professionally was really scary. And, uh, but I think, like I said, I think all of that was sort of trumped by the overall success of the trip. So tell me the story of your very first day. Um, well, I'll start by saying the day before my very first day, I started in Seattle, Washington, which was uh, epically beautiful. I went in September, which was, I think, the most magical month you can spend in Seattle. Like, there was no rain. It was sunny and gorgeous and cool the whole time I was there. Um, and I, my, my transportation while I was in Seattle was a bicycle. And so I had this, I had these grand plans of biking to and fro from the pie shop every day. And so the day before my first day, I decided to, I decided to track the, I decided to map out the trip from, from the house I was staying in to the pie shop, just so I didn't get lost the next day when I actually needed to be there. And so I biked what I thought was the right direction for about 45 minutes. And I realized that I was epically lost, just like 45 minutes in the opposite direction of where I needed to be. And so I had this like very sad soul searching moment where I was like, maybe this was all just a huge mistake. Maybe I was not supposed to be here. Maybe this is ridiculous. I'm in the middle of nowhere. I don't know anyone. I am so lost. And what am I doing with my life was essentially like the breakdown of emotions that I had while sitting on the side of this, this bike path. And I, I noticed in, through, my, through my like tears of distress <laughs> that the entire bike path was um, lined with wild blackberry bushes. And I was immediately sort of like, taken back to my grandmother's backyard where she grows all these blackberries and raspberries. And I started to eat all these like wild blackberries, which I, apparently is a thing in Seattle. Like all these people collect all these wild, wild blackberries. Um, so I started eating these blackberries and it calmed me down enough to be like, you know what? <sighs> Pie is in my blood blackberries are in my blood. If I'm in a city where they have wild blackberries growing along these, these bike trails, I think I'm going to be okay. Like, I think I can continue on. <laughs> Isn't it? I didn't make a mistake. <laughs> it's so funny, like how at the beginning of something, especially at the beginning of something new and scary, we're so extra vulnerable that any little thing that goes <laughs> wrong also, like when you were telling that and telling that story, I flashed on this past summer, I went on a 460 mile solo backpacking trip and I had never done anything oh even remotely like that ever, ever, ever. And um, when my husband was, he dropped me off at basically, so I did the Oregon section of the PCT 
And um, so, you know, he was dropping me off. Basically, the map looked like there was an access point that was, you know, maybe 0.3 miles from the California-Oregon border. And so, I mean, that's pretty far from where we live in Bend, Oregon. So, you know, we've been driving for all these hours. And, you know, we had what Google Maps said was this like crazy, you know, back fire road situation to like try (laughs) to get there. And so we're driving and it's, I mean, almost to the point where it's like about to get dark. And the, you know, we had been there for, I don't know, four hours, four hours, five hours driving. And it the fire road that it said was a fire road just was not a road. Like it was like there were blowdowns. Oh and, I mean, you couldn't drive it. So now we're in the middle of nowhere. We have no service. And of course, I'm already so scared to start this trip in the morning. And then I'm just like, oh, my God, this is a terrible sign. Like I've never been able to make it. I mean, long story short, we found another way around. And, you know, it's funny how we like look for signs. Right. And so I'm like laying in my tent, you know, and then it took me a long time to set the tent up. And I just kept like looking for reasons why this was a bad decision. And I'm like, maybe this that there's no signs I don't need to look for signs something isn't necessarily gonna foreshadow it being good or bad like just get on with it basically but I can completely understand like when you need it's almost like you need the universe to give you some kind of encouragement and the opposite happens and all of a sudden you're questioning like who you are as a human based on this like one tiny like okay you got lost all right but like in the moment it seems like this huge deal yeah, you're like, I think this is a metaphor for feeling lost in my life. What right, when I like, doing? actually, okay, we'll just look at the map and like bike the other direction, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, it's so funny. Right. Okay, so you eat the blackberries, you decide so everything's going to be fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I make my way, my, my way back 45 minutes in the right direction. I find the pie shop. I don't go in because I'm so embarrassed and so sweaty. And, but I at least know where it is. I know how to get there. And so the next day I go and it's just magical. Like I feel like in Seattle, I went to a place called High Five Pie. That's where my pie internship was. And the woman who owns High Five Pie, her name is Danny Cohn. She is just one of the most vibrant people that I've ever met. And she was, she was the first person to say yes to my pie apprenticeship trip. Um, she was enthusiastic about the entire thing in a way that like, I was like, Oh, this is why I'm doing this. You, you are the reason that I took this wild leap of faith. And she absolutely did not disappoint. She settled me right into the back. She treated me just exactly like any other baker. Um, and she, I think that first day, all I did was was roll out crusts for their hand pies and, you know, talk to their other bakers. And, and it felt magical. It was like, oh, I didn't need to be worried because everybody here is incredibly uh, vibrant and excited for me and so pleased to be a part of this like weird adventure that I've just set myself on. I think that's what I found most places is that people were just so excited that I was doing this, that they were like so on board with the idea of, of this being a, a, a journey that I, I felt like I wanted to go on and, and that they got to be a part of it, that they were also, ex- I mean, you know, in this community of bakers, like these women knew exactly where I was because they had had those same thoughts and those same dreams and those same aspirations uh, whenever they started their own pie journey. And so it was just this like wonderful coming together of like-minded people. Yeah. I also think that when you frame something as 
as like a quest or a project or, you know, like what you were doing that this thing, yeah. it's, it definitely is, it's unique and it almost creates a story that other people can get behind. And I think sometimes we forget that, I mean, people I think are inherently good and supportive and helpful and want to help you succeed. Yeah. And of course there are times yeah. when, you know, you meet people that are not that, but I think that that's rare, you know, and it's easy to be cynical, but you know, I love that from the first day you felt supported. Absolutely. Um, And it's funny looking back on a lot of my trips to these different pie shops. Like there were some places that I had not necessarily like a frustrating time, but they were at a different point in their, in their own pie journey that was unrecognizable to me. You know, like the places that I felt the most secure were the, were the places that were well-established, that knew what they were up to, that like were, super confident in their own journey towards pie. And then the places that I felt uncomfortable were the ones that were sort of like in the middle of figuring it out. And so looking back, because now I have been in those same positions where I was like, oh, this makes so much more sense now. Like at the time when I was your intern, I was frustrated or, you know, like I wanted something more or different from them. Uh, But then being in their same, their same situation and being like, oh, you make a lot more sense now. Like your, your overall like big picture point that you were in makes way more sense now that I am currently in that same position. So, yeah. Well, so I was able to sort of like go back. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I was just going to say it makes, it makes sense that like someone that's more, if they're more set up and more experienced and not in that kind of frantic decision-making, like startup, you know, mode that it's easier to have an apprentice. Like, I think it would be hard to have an apprentice when you don't know even what you're doing. Absolutely. And like, you know, and I have found that like, I've had plenty of people in after becoming established in DC, uh, I've had plenty of people be, be very similar to me, be like, I love pie. I love baking. Do you need extra help? And it's sort of, (laughs) my initial, like my initial desire is to say yes immediately. But at the same time, like I have to think about what's best for my, for my own sanity in the business. And so a lot of the times I'm like, Oh, Oh, I understand now. Like if I were more established, this would be such an easier answer. Uh, but because I'm sort of like running around like crazy, I don't know if it would be helpful to have somebody else in the kitchen right now. So, yeah, well, and also I think that when you take on, you know, whether it's an intern or an apprentice or essentially unpaid work, right, Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. it's you have the responsibility of being their teacher. And if you're too stressed and frantic to be able to be a good teacher and mentor, then it's not fair to the person that you're taking on. Absolutely. It it it. It's 100% not fair to them, and it ends up being more work than it is pleasure, and it should always be pleasure. Like, if you're if you're helping other people help realize their dream, like, it should be so much fun. And so I think it's, I think it gets tricky. Um, and that's not something I would have known when I first started out uh, on this, like, on the, on the tour of pie. I had no idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'd love to hear about both on the pie side, like the actual physical baking, and then on the small business side, maybe we start with pie first. What are a couple of the lessons that you learned? 
I think one of the biggest lessons that I learned was just how little baking happens when you are a professional baker. I mean, it's so much prep. It's like, it's unbelievable. Like if you're, when I, when I started working in DC on my own business, I only baked two days a week. Um, and that's because of farmer's markets and, and such. But like at each of those places, the baking, the baking was done in the first like three hours of every day. And the rest, the rest of the time was spent rolling out crusts and cutting fruit and making fillings. So, so there was very little actual baking that happened. And I think that was a huge realization. It was like, oh, I, I, I like being a home baker and I think I can wrap my my brain around really enjoying the fact that working professionally is all prep work. Um, but it's certainly something new. It was definitely a like new way of having to think about things, um, which I found really surprising. Um, Mm -hmm. and then I think I was also surprised by the, just the sheer quantity of things. I mean, when you start baking professionally, you're using like pounds of butter and, you know, pounds of flour and sugar. And you're just like, oh, great. This is such a huge scale. (laughs) Um, So I would say that those are probably the two things that were the most surprising. Was there anything, because obviously you had been, you know, baking pies and you had your recipes and your family's recipes. Was there anything specifically about like actually how to make pie, like secrets to incredible pie that you learned that you didn't know before? Um, not necessarily. I mean, of course I learned so many like tricks of the trade. Um, but at the same time, what I, what I loved about learning those tricks was that I learned them in reference to my own recipes. So, so everybody has their own recipes, right? So like all of these pie shops, um, had their own way of doing things and, their methods definitely influenced how I made things. But what I liked about it was that I took the method, but not necessarily, I didn't necessarily change any of my recipes. So I had my idea of like what the perfect pie was. And because I went to those 10 different places, I learned just exactly how to filter their methods or, or filter my recipes through their their way of doing things. So like I learned how to, how to make my recipes in bulk and I learned how to like roll everything out and put them in their tins and that all those things can be frozen. I like learned, I learned the process of putting all these, these pieces together and then was able to just use my own recipes uh, in place of theirs, which I think was really the the most wonderful part of it um because I didn't have to sacrifice any of my own like flavors or ideas it was simply like using this tried and trusted way of doing things and then being able to bake what I wanted to bake okay so let's do pie 101 basically so (laughs) for I mean home bakers people listening whatever anyone who either wants to make pie has never made pie has made pie and for some reason they feel like they never come out good like what are like the I don't know what's kind of your basic advice for baking good pie at home um, I would say well first of all I would say you have to do it a lot you have to make so many pies 
before you feel comfortable making so many pies. Um, you like get this really clear understanding of what it should look like and what it should feel like. Um, and that only comes with doing it over and over and over again. So like if you're scared of making a crust, make a million crusts. Um, if you're scared of soupy pie, make a million like soupy pies <laughs> until you realize what it's supposed to look like. Um, but I, I would say for the perfect crust, um, I would start with, I would start with cold ingredients, um, especially cold fats. People talk often about, uh, overworking your dough. And essentially what that means is that your fats have gotten too warm or too small. Um, and that leads to like toughness of your crust. So I would start cold just because then you're less likely to overwork it. And essentially what you're looking for are those little pieces of fat. They should be about pea-sized, just coated in your flour, sugar, uh, salt mix mixture. Um, because essentially what happens in the oven is that those little, those little pieces of fat um, create pockets of air when they melt into the rest of the crust um, at the right baking temperature. So essentially what that does is it, it creates your layers of flakiness. Um, so each of those little nuggets of, of, of delicious fat create uh, layers of flakiness. Um, and I also use vodka in my crust, which is, which is fun. Uh, <laughs> it essentially... It does two things. It makes your dough more pliable when you're rolling it out, and um, it evaporates faster than water. So it, it leaves behind a flakier crust overall. Interesting. Um, okay, yeah. so uh, talking about fat, yep. um, are you a butter person, a shortening person? And like, what's your? If you basically could only make one pie crust for the rest <laughs> of your life, I know that's probably like a terrible thing to say to you, but if so, um, what would you use? I am going to split the difference. I'm a shortening and butter lady. <laughs> half and half. A half and half. Well, a little less shortening than butter. Um, so essentially, butter is awesome for flavor. It makes for a super flavorful dough. And I like to use um, half whole wheat flour, half all-purpose flour, actually. So the butter is awesome for flavor, but the shortening is what makes for a softer, flakier dough. Um, so, so especially with the whole wheat flour, the shortening sort of aids to, to soften that up and to, to make it so that it is flaky as opposed to um, super stiff. And then you're using vodka instead of using water. I use, again, I use half and half. Um, okay. I use half vodka, half ice water. Okay. Interesting. I All know. right. So, okay. So those are crust tips. Anything else you want to say about making perfect pie crust? Um, perfect pie crust. I think those are my tips. Perfect pies. Um, I ended up, for a long time, um, I didn't realize that my oven dial was off. Um, and so I was ending up with a lot of pie soup, just like really runny pies um, that never that never set, despite how much, uh, however much cornstarch or like tapioca starch I was using. And I realized simultaneously that my oven dial was off, and that must mean that the pies were never coming up to temp. And so, in order to avoid soupy pies, uh, get an oven thermometer. And uh, what you want to look for is that fruit filling to bubble. Because um, once it boils, 
in your oven, it will set. That that means that the chemical reaction, the, the scientific reaction of the cornstarch or your tapioca starch is is happening. Um, it needs to come to a boil before it will it will set. And so, the, it to, to avoid pie soup, make sure your pie filling comes to a boil in the oven. Okay, so for apple pie, do you have favorite apples or apple combinations to use? Um, I am a fan. I'm a, I'm a super huge fan of like tart and sweet or salty and sweet, which is why a lot of my recipes um, call for those types of ingredients. So like for instance, my pecan pie, I add, a, I add bacon because it's like super salty and sweet. So for apple, um, I... I typically go with the classic like Granny Smith, um, especially if I'm pairing it with something super sweet like caramel. So I'll go with a super tart apple and uh, a sweeter, a sweeter sweetener um, without without worrying too much that it's going to be like that overly sickly sweet flavor. Mm-hmm. Okay. So in which types of pies or in which situations are you baking the crust first um, before you add the filling? Sure, sure. Um, I only bake the crust before I make like custard pies, cu- pies that that will not get baked any further once the filling is in them. So like any cream pies, um, I I bake the crust beforehand for the key for like key lime. Even though you're baking it again once you've sort of like made the filling, um, I I pre bake those crusts too, just because if it's got a short oven time like let's say I'm going to put this I'm going to put a key lime pie in for like 20 minutes that's not enough time to cook the 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 pie crust so anything that has a short oven time or that like doesn't get baked at all I I pre-bake Okay, so I'm just like totally putting you on the spot with all my pie questions. Um, well, I'm trying to think of like pie disasters that I have had in the past, uh, right? Like, let's just like yes. fix everyone's pie problems like for the holidays. Please, yeah. Um, so you mentioned that the filling, let's let's say it's like an apple, let's use apple pie as an example, right? That it has to come to that point where it's boiling, right? So that then it's gonna, uh, or bubbling, so that when it comes out that it's gonna set. Um, I have cut pie too soon and then it also doesn't set. Oh, sure. Yep. So is it, it, what is your kind of recommendation for out of the oven? The thing that's tough is that you, sometimes you do want a warm pie, um, as opposed to like a room temperature pie. And so those are automatically just going to be a little bit juicier because they haven't had time to like cool and set. Um, I would say rather than like cutting it straight out of the oven, you should give it like 20 minutes. Um, but if you if you want it to be a little heartier of a syrup, um, you can always just add a little more thickener, like a tablespoon or two of of extra flour or extra cornstarch, because that'll sort of that'll help absorb the liquid um, that any excess liquid that may happen upon cutting. I mean, but if if you are cutting a hot or warm pie like that it's sort of automatic that it's going to be able to severe mm-hmm. okay so more thickener and giving it at least 20 minutes I think so I mean then it's warm but not like piping hot yeah 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 okay okay I'm into it um anything else basically for any kind of pie anything that comes to mind that you're <laughs> like oh people should know this um I think that those are the big I think 
Oh, I will say I make all of my crust at least a day in advance. Um, and it also freezes really well. So I make just a huge batch of crust and throw most of, most of it in a freezer because it'll freeze so well. And then when you want to make a pie, you just pull it out the day before and stick it in the fridge and then you're ready, you're ready to roll. Um, what's nice about making it at least a day before, if you just want to put it in the fridge, um, is that let's, that lets the gluten sort of relax um, and it's much easier to roll out. Uh, so giving, giving that gluten just an opportunity to sort of like, you're going to, you're going to make it crazy. You're going to work it up. You're going to like, that's, that's why it bonds together uh, is because you've just like worked it into submission, but then you sort of, you want to give it its downtime so that it becomes much easier to roll out and then it won't shrink as much. Uh, if you give it a chance to sort of chill out. Okay. So if you're going to do big batches and freeze them, are you just wrapping it like in plastic wrap in the freezer? What are you doing Mm -hmm. when you put it in the freezer? Yeah, I put it in plastic wrap. Um, if you want to do freezer bags, like that works great too. Um, anything that you can just like pull out easily and stick in your fridge when, when you're ready to make a pie. That sounds good. See, good tips. Everyone has lots of things that they can practice. Um, Okay, so we covered what you learned on the baking side during your apprenticeship year, and now I have new tricks to try when I make pies. Thank you for that. (laughs) Um, Absolutely. And I would love to hear more of what you learned on the business side of things. So when you went into this apprenticeship, was there anything specific that you were trying to learn about starting your own business, or what, what was that like? I think the biggest thing that I wanted to learn was simply how to start. I mean, it's super overwhelming when you start to think about all of the all of the steps that are required before you can start selling things to other people, um, especially when it's uh, selling something that you make yourself. Um, and so I in those early in those early months, um, it was mostly just about how to get started, like, what licenses I needed, who to speak to, how much it was going to cost. Um, so just like getting my feet under me in a, in a way that really, that made it seem, uh, possible that, that really made it like, I, I literally wrote down a list of first do this second, do this. And it was like the steps to follow, uh, in order to be successful. Um, and a lot of those included the proper licensing. Um, some of those were like, uh, commercial kitchen tips, like where to, where to make these, um, pies in order to be able to sell them to the public. Um, and a lot of it was, um, just sourcing. So, so for me, uh, seasonal produce was always going to be high on my list of things that I, I thought were necessary. Um, and so it was a lot of just talking about where to, where to find seasonal produce, who to go through, like what networks, um, and relationships I could potentially begin in order to be successful and in order to, um, keep it as local and as seasonal as possible. Um, and for, for every pie shop, it was different, right? Um, and these were sort of just guidelines for wherever I ended up. 
Yeah. So go back to the commercial kitchen thing for a second. So, I mean, I know that when you're making food to sell, unless you've had your own home kitchen, like meet the requirements to, and that's dependent on state by Mm -hmm. state. So you have to, Mm -hmm. you have to what rent space in another kitchen. How does that work? Um, you do have to rent space in, in other kitchens. Um, sometimes you can find oftentimes churches like church basement kitchens have, um, the, the proper like commercial licensing. Um, so if you can find a good deal with a church, then you're sort of like golden. Um, for me in DC, I, I ended up renting space at a, a what they called a food incubator called Union Kitchen. And it was essentially, I had 24-7 access to this commercial kitchen that was licensed for uh, food food and beverage. Um, and so I paid a monthly fee and it, it gave me 24-7 access. In a lot of states, it goes hour to hour. So you're paying an hourly fee to be in a commercial space. And so then you really have to sort of uh, weigh your time in the kitchen a lot more closely than than I ever had to in in DC. Um, and then once I once I had been with Union Kitchen for about a year and a half, I sought my own kitchen space. So I found uh, a commercial kitchen that was willing to rent to me for a little less than I was paying a Union Kitchen. And and I think it had Union Kitchen certainly had its advantages, like. They were really helpful when I was first starting out with marketing and with farmers markets. Um, they had a lot of information on how to start all of the, how to get my licenses, um, et cetera, et cetera. And so they were super helpful when I was starting out. But uh, about after a year and a half, uh, I was like, okay, I think I get it. And now I just need commercial space. Like I need, I need the the space to to make my products. And I and I have built my customer base. I have my packaging. I, I know all of the things that I think I need to know. And so now, and then it was time to, to search for something a little less expensive. So when you first got back from the apprenticeship and you decided that you were going to start this business, what were the mm-hmm. first couple of concrete steps that you took? Like, what did you do first? Um, well, it was funny because it was a little tricky right when I moved to DC because I over the course of my apprenticeship tour, I had gotten a book deal from Workman Publishing. Um, they had approached me about halfway through my year of pie and uh, asked me if I'd ever thought about writing a cookbook. And, you know, <laughs> I told them honestly, I was like, I'd never thought about it, but I could certainly start thinking about it if if you thought that this was an interesting story. And they they did. They thought it was an interesting enough story that they were excited to tell. And so I... I had essentially a year to write this cookbook. It's got, I mean, it's, it's, sto- it's, it's sort of a compilation of stories from my, my year of pie plus uh, 60 of my own recipes that I sort of developed over that year. And so when I moved to DC, I had about six months left to, to finish the, the writing of the cookbook. And uh I, I didn't have a job. And so I spent my first six months in DC just working at a couple of different bakeries. Um, I really wanted some like long-term professional kitchen experience, like under my belt. I just wanted to work for, uh, professional bakers and, and sort of get a sense of, of what working in a kitchen 
I mean, I had gotten that with the with the tour of Pi, but I wanted I wanted to work in a place longer than a month uh, to sort of understand the everyday business of of working in a kitchen. So I worked part time as a baker, and um, I finished the cookbook. That's so yeah. No, this is so interesting that you that the cookbook happened kind of so early in this process. Crazy, uh, and and sort of out of the blue. I, it's funny because I. Right when I started the tour of Pi, I was I was doing all all things. I was keeping a blog. Um, I was trying to to garner attention for the blog, um, and I I I'm not quite sure what my intentions. I, I I didn't intend to be, you know, famous or sought after. I think I think part of me wanted to make sure that my friends knew where I was in the United States. It was sort of a way for my friends to keep up with with this like wild and wacky tour. Um, and then some of it was certainly like trying to make my way into the world of, of, of baking, trying to find my place within this industry and, and hope that, you know, at the end of the tour, I would not only have mentors, but I would have a, you know, a, a, a following of people interested in, in my success. Um, and so, they, when I, when I, when I first left, I started an, an email for teeny pies and then I promptly forgot about it. I like, didn't check it <laughs> for six months. And I, I remember just clicking on it, remembering that it existed, clicking in into my inbox and there was a, an email from Workman Publishing and I, I lost my mind. I was like, I think, and it was old. It was like uh, several months old. And I was like, oh, oh my, my God, God, I can't believe I, <laughs> I can't believe I never checked this. They're never going to call me. I'm, 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 I'm screwed. I'm like screwed before I've even started. And uh, I luckily I called and she was like, oh, great. We were, we were hoping you would call. <laughs> uh, and we, we talked by, but it was, it was sort of hilarious. It was a very like dumb moment. <laughs> That's so far. So the learning lesson there is check your email. <laughs> Always check your email. Um, and they were they were sort of delightful about it. But you know, I think that the idea of someone taking an alternate route in order to follow a passion is always a good story. And I think this this journey towards pie, whatever it ended up being, is is so is so wonderful. It's, you know, it, it embraces all of these really lovely things that remind us of home, remind us of our childhood, remind, it's like a, a very, it's the epitome of the American dessert, you know what I mean? And so, and I was, I was following this passion in a very unique and individual way. And I think that that tells a good story. And, and it was early on in, in all of this, I think, um, it was it was funny because I wrote the cookbook and then I had to sort of scramble for followers, you know, for all of those things that like seasoned cookbook or, um, you know, seasoned cooks and chefs already have before they write their cookbook. I sort of had I did it in reverse. I like wrote this what I think is just this like wonderful cookbook. But then I had to sort of like scramble for uh, people to to, to be interested in it, to continue to be interested in my story. Yeah. Well, I'm looking at your book right now. I have it on my shelf and it's lovely. So <laughs> I'm glad, I'm glad that personally I'm glad that you wrote it and I'm excited to bake from it. Um, when you, I think it worked out pretty good. 
Yeah, no, I mean, definitely. One of the things I'm always curious about with cookbooks is the process of recipe testing. Like how many times did you Mm -hmm. make each recipe? Did you have other people bake your recipes? Yes, all of the above. I mean, it, it is such a process. What was nice about, what was sort of crazy about writing on the road is that it was much harder to test recipes. And so I would say that the story aspect of the cookbook was very easy to write while I was on the road. It was sort of like I was in the moment. It was easy to talk about these places that I had visited. And then when I got to DC, the actual like testing really got serious. Um, we, we actually threw a series of pie parties where I would put a bunch of pie dreams on the menu and then like try and pull them off. And then we'd have a whole bunch of people over for feedback. They would taste all these pies. Um, they would give us all this feedback. And then I would go back to the, the drawing board and, and sort of ref- if, if it was a good recipe, I would refine it. If it was a bad recipe, I would toss it out and try something new. Um, and, then, and then when we got close to the very end, I started having other people make the recipes because we wanted to make sure that, that anybody could, could follow this recipe and, and, and be successful. Um, and it's actually how we made all of our friends in DC. Like it's, it's amazing when you invite people over for a pie party, they're just very excited to accept and, and be your, your friend. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's a good tactic. I like that. That's funny. Um, Move to a new city and have pie parties. (laughs) What was one of the recipes that you really wanted to work, but just was a disaster? Um, there were a couple, I mean, <laughs> I really wanted a like chili pie uh to happen and I really wanted to have sort of like a frito frito chip crust and it just never like it just never tasted the way it was supposed to uh which was a, a pretty big letdown um and I also think that that happened a, a, a few times but more often than not when I when I dreamed up a pie, especially the, the fruit pies, I think as long as it was like an interesting combination, uh, we figured out a way to make it work. I do remember that the, the grapefruit pomegranate pie took so much testing. Like we just had grapefruit soup over and over and over. Um, and <laughs> that, was, that was super frustrating because I knew that I wanted those flavors and I knew that I could make it work. It just, it took so much refining. Yeah, I can't, it's funny. I can't even picture what that would taste like, but <laughs> now I'm curious. <laughs> um, so from the writing of the cookbook from start to finish, what was something that really surprised you and what was something that was really frustrating? Um, I think... In the very beginning, the idea of having to write 60 plus recipes or or come up with 60 different iterations of pie was entirely overwhelming. Um, I think it's really, it's hard to imagine that many pies. Um, And I, I certainly had my favorites and I certainly, you know, over the course of that year had, had come in contact with a lot of new and exciting flavors, but it was it was certainly overwhelming to 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 try and come up with with sixty different recipes. And then once I got started, it was it was it was surprising how fun it was to to be to be offered this opportunity to dream in pie, 
to sort of like think of the craziest combinations uh, and try to turn it into a pie. Like, like one of my favorite pies in the cookbook is the Reuben, the Reuben pie, which is essentially a Reuben sandwich in pie form. It's got a, a caraway seed crust. It's got sauerkraut and corned beef and this like homemade cheesy spicy sauce um, as a filling. And then it's got a rye crumble. And like all of these components on paper, it was sort of like, how does this come together into a pie? Is it disgusting? Is it awesome? And, and if it's disgusting, how do we make it awesome? Because this is something that I want to, to happen. Um, and, and, and it's one of my favorite recipes to have like come out of all of this dreaming and scheming. But from, from start to finish, it's, it's super daunting. It's like, this, I know that these flavors work together because they work together in an entirely different iteration. But like, how do we think about them in pie, in pie terms? Yeah, that was uh, so one that of the- was sorry something I was surprised by was that you had sweet and savory which I thought was cool yeah I think it's important I mean I am not an overly sweet person which is funny because I own a pie business um (laughs) but I'm I'm not overly I don't have an an overly active sweet tooth and I think that um savory pies are intriguing I think that I, I love the idea of turning these meals that I love, like Thanksgiving dinner and, you know, chicken stew and these Reuben, uh, Reuben sandwiches into my version of a pie. I think it's super exciting and an exciting way to think about food, um, which makes it intriguing to make. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we did, a, we did a lot of savory work. So when you first started selling the pies at farmer's markets, what was the most popular, or I guess even like over the course of however long you did that, what was the most popular pie? Sure. Um, We've got a couple. I think that the bourbon bacon pecan is always a good seller once you can sell people on the fact that it doesn't taste weird. It just tastes awesome. Like people, when people try it, they're expecting a a like a a really bacony taste, um, but it in actuality, it's just salty and sweet, which is like one of my favorite combinations for anything. I mean, I'm like a pretzel and chocolate lady all the way. And so anytime it's like salty plus sweet, your mouth is firing on all cylinders. Um, and so that's a, that's a really popular pie. I would say that our rosemary caramel apple is a really popular pie. Um, surprisingly, sweet potato is is a really popular pie. And I'm so grateful because it's one of my favorite pies to make and to eat. And so I love it when other people love it. Um, and I, I, summertime pies, I think our favorite, our, our most popular are probably key lime and our strawberry basil. Cause I think that just tastes like summer. It's, it's sort of amazing. <laughs> yeah. Strawberry basil sounds so good. Yum. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so from when you first started, how long did it take to become profitable? Um, it didn't take as long as I thought it was going to take. I would say that we were profitable um, within the first couple of months, but it is only because I got extremely lucky. I mean, A number one, I was doing all of the work myself. It was only in the last like year half a year that I hired help, uh, just because I really needed it. Um, so for the most part, it was just me in the kitchen, uh, all the time. Um, but also I didn't start 
at farmers markets. I started wholesale um, with this incredibly lovely CSA in DC called Norman's Farm Market. And they, I essentially got a CSA with them. And then I <laughs> approached them two weeks in and was like, hey, I'm a pie maker. I have a commercial kitchen. Would you be interested in selling my pies on in in your in your subscription? Like, can I come or can I come and like set up my wares at your pickup days? And essentially they were they were all on board from the very beginning. And so I had just like guaranteed sales um, straight off the bat. And so it was really easy for me to uh, have that sort of like steady income and then be able to sort of tread tread more cautiously when it came to farmers market um, vending. Like I I could afford to not necessarily sell out every farmer's market because I had the fallback of my wholesale sales. Um, so it worked out incredibly nicely. Um, but I, I was very lucky in that sense that I sort of like, I built, I built a wholesale relationship first and then I was able to, to sort of navigate the farmer's market scene. And I had a little leeway when it came to farmer's market sales. Yeah, that's something that I wouldn't have necessarily thought of or thought to do, but that sounds really smart because then it's basically <laughs> like the best of both situations. Right. It, it worked really well. And then we sort of like, we it was nice because we built a really strong customer base too. Like there were people that from both, you know, from Maryland, from Virginia and from DC who, who knew about my pies. And so if they were in DC, they came to the farmer's market. And if they were in Maryland, they went to these farm stands. And so we sort of like, we had this very broad base, which was really helpful um, for those first couple of years. So if you think back to the first few months, what can you recall as maybe a mistake that you made and learned from? Um, gosh, I mean, all of them. <laughs> I feel like when you're the only one in the kitchen, it's really... Um, it's both freeing and incredibly frustrating because if anything goes wrong, you only have yourself to blame. So, you know, like I, I remember, um, putting sweet, sweet potato pie on the menu, buying enough, uh, sweet potatoes to make probably a hundred or 200 teeny pies. And then like, having this incredibly frustrating moment when I realized that the, the sweet potatoes, because of they were white sweet potatoes instead of my normal uh, orange sweet potatoes, they were really hard to remove from the skins. And so I ended up with like half of the, of the actual cooked potato that I needed for the recipes. And I, but by that point we had already like snowballed to the point where I needed to just make them. And however many I made was however many it was going to make. And so I didn't really have any options at that point. It was like, okay, we'll make as many as you can. And this week you're just not going to be able to sell as much. You know what I mean? Like, like that happened a lot where it was like, I would bet on something and then because life is life, it wouldn't necessarily pan out. Uh, and I would just have to make do. And so that that happened quite a bit in the beginning. And then I got better and better. I mean, that's that's sort of the, the thing of it, right? Like you only get better and better. Um, and it just takes time, <laughs> time mm. and mistakes. So. Yeah, and continuing on after <laughs> you have made those mistakes. No, I love right. it. it um, yeah. 
So how do you think you've grown as, I don't know the word you want to use, like entrepreneur or business owner, like through doing this? Um, I am, I am super grateful that I have had so much time in the kitchen. Um, I will say, because when I first started the tour of pie, I think I had it in my brain, like the ideal situation for me was opening a pie shop, being the head baker and like not necessarily doing any of the business side of things. And like having spent the last three years in the kitchen, I'm really excited to do just the opposite. I'm really excited to teach other people my recipes. I'm really excited to like have them make my beautiful and like delicious pies, but I'm also really ready to run the business. And I don't think that that was the case five years ago when I started this. I, I think that my brain has has really sort of like adapted to the idea of being a businesswoman and and whatever. I, I think it's going to be so hard. And I think there's going to be so many parts that will be less interesting um, in in the way that pie to me is interesting, that the physically making pie is really like, I, I love it. I still love it. Um, but I think that the business side of things is going to be really hard, but really rewarding. And I'm, I'm very excited to be a lady boss. Like, I think that that's not something that I was entirely comfortable with, um, five years ago. I think that's why it took me so long to hire somebody else. But I think it's really fun now to think about being a boss, uh, and rocking it. I'm really excited to rock it. I think. (laughs) So for someone else who is maybe in the position that you were in four or five years ago, like that's mm-hmm. interested in starting any kind of a small food business, what advice would you give them? Um, I Well, first of all, I would say spend as much time in somebody else's kitchen as you can, because I think working from work, like loving baking at your house is entirely different than starting a business. I mean, there is nothing more different. Uh, and so I would, I would really recommend being in other people's kitchens because then you get to, you get the inside scoop on how to do it right. Um, you learn, you learn from other people's mistakes as opposed to having to make them all yourself. Uh, and then I would say slow and steady. I mean, it, it, it takes a lot of work. You really have to love it. Um, but as long as you are slow and steady and like rely on, like listen to your customers and listen to their feedback and, and sort of like make the best that you can make. I think, uh, I think it is, it is not necessarily easy to be successful, but I think you will be successful. I think it takes a lot of work, but, uh, it's super rewarding. Yeah. I like your advice about spending time in someone else's kitchen. Like I think any kind of entrepreneurial, I'm going to go into business for myself because I love, you know, X thing, whatever, like it's something that's based on passion. And I I mean, I found this in not in the food world, but in other things, like just because you love something on a hobby level doesn't mean that you are necessarily going to love it mass production style or all the things that come with it. Absolutely. I mean, it's entirely different. Like I, I love pie and thankfully I still love pie when I roll out, you know, 300 crusts uh, a week, like that, I still like it. Um, But that's not necessarily going to be the case. Like if you, if you hate all of those sort of like 
steps that come before the baking, uh, if you're only interested in the baking, I think that that's like 10% of the work that I do. And so I think it's, it, it really, it comes into focus when you are working for other people, just, just the type of work that you will be doing. Totally. So you built up this customer base and this following and everything in DC, and it sounds like it was successful and going really well. And then obviously now that you've moved, right, and are I mean, not starting over, but, you know, sort of, what does that feel like? Like, what's next for you? Um, it's pretty terrifying and exhilarating. I think it's all of the things. I think I'm very sad to have to leave my customer base. I think that it was a lot of, um, it was a lot of work and it was super rewarding to meet all of those people. Like, I really, I, I love, I love the fact that I got, regulars that I had people that were so enamored with pie that they came again and again and again to to my my pie stand um but that being said I think it's going to be a lot easier once we we move I think Cincinnati is gonna offer some really awesome things that DC just never would have been for us um like we we're coming into a situation where we have this sort of like built-in familial uh support network. And I think that in order to be successful in a small business, you need as much support as possible. And so we're, we're walking into this knowing that we have a support system. Uh, we're, we're coming into a market that is excited and, uh, ready to help small businesses, specifically food businesses. I feel like the buzz around Cincinnati food is really exciting uh, and I am so thrilled to be able to sort of like jump in on the ground level and be a part of the blossoming uh, Cincinnati food scene. I'm very excited to sort of jump in feet first. Uh, and I think it's going to take a little less time than it did in D.C. I think I've, I've made <laughs> just a ton of mistakes in D.C. that I will obviously have learned from. And so, I mean, we're going to simultaneously sort of start the way we started in DC. We're going to focus on wholesale. We're going to focus on customers. But at the same time, uh, we're going to be working on an actual storefront. And that is not something that I think I saw for myself in DC. And I think it's going to be really rewarding. Well, you're going to have to reach out to me when that's open because I don't think I've ever been to Cincinnati, but that would be so fun to come and check out your pie shop. Yes, road trip for pie. I oh my think God. It <laughs> sounds like the best road trip ever, please. And since you're uh, starting pastry school, you can just come for your summer internship. Just like uh, we'll put yeah. you to work. That, I mean, first of all, that would be amazing. <laughs> when to, I mean, so sidebar, not just like selfish question. What's your timeline like for this? Um. We're just now sort of figuring that out. There's a couple of different options um, in Cincinnati for getting retail space. Um, and so I, I think realistically, it's going to be about a year to a year and a half before we are able to open our doors. Um, but that's sort of exciting. That gives us enough time to sort of to get our name out there, to really like broaden our customer base again like hopefully we'll find some fun kitchen space we'll sort of like ingratiate ourselves into the industry and like you know create the buzz that is necessary to get people excited for when we are ready to open our doors in a year or a year and a half um I think that that's all part of it and to to try and rush that seems it not only like makes me feel really panicked but (laughs) it seems silly when we can take our time, we can do it right. And then at the end of the day, I think our business will be so much stronger for it. 
So, so no rush, but I, I think everything is going to happen pretty quickly um, once we make the move to Cincinnati. I mean, also a year, a year or a year and a half is actually not that long. I know. <laughs> you are absolutely right. Uh, you are 100% right. Like when it's a year and a half from now, you'd be like, whoa, how'd that time go by so fast? <laughs> like, oh my gosh, slow down. I don't know if I can handle it. Yeah, no, I'm very, I'm very pleased at the idea of a, a year and a half from now. Um, I think it, it makes a lot of sense. So the last story that I would love to hear that you hinted about a tiny bit when we were emailing before recording is about your wedding and your wedding pies. So tell me this story. <laughs> uh, so I... I met my husband, uh, who was not my husband in, in college. We were, we were very, we were very close friends. Uh, we never dated in college. Um, and then we went our separate ways when we graduated. I went, I moved to Chicago. He moved to New York. Uh, and we sort of met up five years later. Um, and while we were roommates, I, I started making pies. He was there for the, the start of the pie, the, the journey towards pie, um, and so we moved to DC together and, you know, we had talked a lot about, we had talked a lot about getting married. I think when you, when you talk about the, the inevitability of, of um, getting married, you, you, you talk about a lot of the details, like who do you, we imagined that we would, we would get engaged um, sometime during that year as when we started this conversation and we just talked a lot about like wedding details, like who we would want, um, all all under the assumption that like he was going to propose sometime during the year, um, and he did. But in addition to proposing, he also planned a secret wedding for the same day, and so <laughs> I got surprise married. Uh, he he asked me to marry him in the morning, and then uh, he said we were going to go celebrate around the corner at our our local coffee shop. And uh, everyone was there. My my family was there. His family was there. Uh, our friends, a, a couple of friends from college, were there. Uh, a couple of friends from DC were there. And I thought it was an engagement surprise, but it turns out he had this entire plan. And so at at breakfast at the coffee shop, he asked me. Uh, whether or not I would be up for getting married that day. And so <laughs> I said yes again, uh, thinking that we would just wander down to the courthouse. But in fact, he had this, uh, this elaborate plan. His sister had brought down, his sister works for Anthropology, uh, the store, and she had brought down, you know, four or five different wedding dresses for me to try on. And I had a hair appointment. I got to say yes to the dress. Uh, a couple of my friends made my bouquet. Um, and so we had an appointment at the, the courthouse. Uh, we got married. The, the officiant at our, the, the courthouse officiant was <laughs> shocked when we told her that I had just gotten engaged that morning. Um, she, <laughs> her jaw, she couldn't get her jaw up off the floor. Um, and then it turns out that he had emailed, you know, 60 of our of our closest friends and told them to show up for what they thought was a surprise engagement party, uh, but was actually uh, our surprise wedding reception. Um, and earlier in the week, I had gotten this huge pie order from one of his coworkers um, who had said that he was going, he was hosting a family reunion. He needed all these pies 
for this reunion. And those, those same pies ended up at my wedding reception. So my, my now husband tricked me into making my own wedding pies without (laughs) telling me. And so we had teeny pies at my wedding. And to be fair, I wouldn't have wanted it any other way. Like if there had been other pies at my wedding or, or cake, like I would have been so mad. And so it, it was entirely appropriate, but, but very tricksy. Uh. <laughs> this is an incredible story. I can't imagine like the planning that it took on his end to pull this off. I know. I, I He he said it was something crazy, like six months. Um, and, and I'm just sort of shocked that nobody blew it. Like this is a huge secret. Um, to plan a wedding for six months and to like not have any single person like blow it is is kind of incredible. I it is the to this day the most fun that I have ever had. I I love surprises and I was just so pleased that I got to experience this one so fully. <laughs> I mean, so you were just completely like, you had no idea. You were completely blown away. I was completely blown away. I mean, because in the back of my mind, I had always just thought. It, he was planning an engagement, you know, like, and, and because I love surprises, I was like, great. I don't even want to know anything about that. Like, I'm going to let you do whatever it is you need to do, to do to like have a fun engagement. And so I just kept my nose out of it and then was just like surprised times a million. <laughs> this is such a fun story. Oh my God, that's a good place to start to wrap up. And I'm going to tell everyone I talked to today about this story. because It's so fun. <laughs> Um, so the way that we wrap these up are with what we call community questions. So they're like a series of questions that Real Talk Radio listeners want me to ask each of our eight guests of essentially like the given season. So we have Great. nine kind of random questions if you are down to answer nine random questions. I am down. I love random and I love questions. So the first one, when was the last time that you tried something new and what was it? When was the last time I tried something new? Um, so I, um, uh, my husband for, for Christmas gave me this like quilt making kit. And I, since we moved to the middle of nowhere for this, this, this summertime, I decided to, to try my hand at, at making a quilt and I loved it. I, it was so much work, uh, but I, I sort of like fell in love with making this, it's like a DIY um, constellation quilt. And I, I loved it. I, it was the most fun I've ever had. It's probably the best present he's ever given me. Uh, and I had to, you know, it was like, great, here, make yourself a blanket. Uh, <laughs> so uh, it was super successful. I was very, very pleased. And now you have this quilt. And now I have a quilt. That's so fun. Um, the next question, what's something that you really love about yourself? Uh, I, I, I straight up love my, my hair, um, <laughs> which is funny because it, it's, it's very curly. Uh, and it, for a very long time, I had no idea what to do with it. I, while I was in high school and college, I straightened it every single day. I like did I, I ran the gambit of like colors and just like tortured my hair day after day after day. And then I moved to Chicago and I was like, you know what? I think I have awesome hair. 
but I've just never let it have its moment. And so I started to let it curl. I no longer like diet. And now I just have killer hair. Like it is beautiful. And I'm so pleased with it every single day. I'm just like, great. Even if I put it up, I'm just like, you know what? You kind of rock. Um, and I love love it. Um, so when you're getting to know someone new, what's a favorite get to know you question to ask or like, what's something that you would like love to know about everyone? What are you curious about? Um, I'm sort of curious about, oh, I'm, I'm very curious about passion. Like I, I love hearing about what makes people happy. I think that far too few people, uh, actually like are are gung ho about what they love, and so I think the 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 more you can encourage passion, uh, the better. And I love I love hearing what people care about. I think that it's really fun, and I think that my favorite like ask get to know you question is sort of like tell me more. Like I want to hear more. Like give me more detail. Uh, I think it it goes a long way. Yeah, I agree. That's it's funny. That's an answer that I haven't gotten yet. But I like if someone ex- like says something that they're clearly excited about, just asking for more is always going to lead you into a good conversation. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. What's one thing that you know now that you wish that you had known three years ago? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, I think I wish someone had told me that, or, or I wish that I knew um, that. <laughs> that that making all of the mistakes is really helpful. <laughs> I think for a really long time, and I and I still think I do this. I mean, everybody feels this way about mistakes, but um, I think for a really long time, especially with the business, any mistake was sort of just like um, paralyzing, as opposed to like you know, I, I would worry and I would stress and I would sort of like get myself so worked up without realizing that like, yes, it sucks to make mistakes. It's the worst. It, it it feels terrible at the time, after the time, all of the times, but at the same time, oh my gosh, I just said times so many times. Um, at the same time, it, it can only help. Like you can only learn from it. Um, and you'll, you know, you'll never do it again that same way. And so I think rather than being paralyzing, I wish that somebody had told me that um, they can be empowering if you if you don't let it get away with your emotions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's awesome advice. What's one non-negotiable for you? One thing, however large or small, that it's really important for you to do every day? Uh, I, I need... Uh, I feel like I need to interact in a, in a way that like makes me laugh every, every day. I think, I think that that's really important. And I think, um, it's funny. My mom, my mom used to call it the the Pollyanna game. I think like the glad game, like what makes you, if, if you're ever like feeling down or feeling sad, like think of, list all the things that make you glad. And, and I think that it's, it's super helpful, like as corny as that sounds like, and, and I think think interacting in a way that like makes me happy or makes me laugh, laugh out loud. 
um, is really important. It makes me, it keeps me on the, on the up and up. It like makes me, moves me forward. Well, yeah, I mean, and I think it, it's like this idea that, I mean, of course we can feel sad, we can feel angry, we can feel disappointed, all the things, but that we do have a lot more control over our emotions than we think, right? Just by like choosing where to place your attention and your focus. Absolutely. And sometimes it's so hard, but, uh, super necessary. Yeah, I agree. So if I could hand you an all expense paid trip for two right now, where would you go and who would you bring? Um, I would bring my husband. He's one of the best travelers, uh, I've ever known. He's, he sort of like inherently knows where to go and, and how to get there. And if he gets lost, it's rather, it's more of an adventure as opposed to just like stressful. So I definitely bring him. And I think I would go to Cuba. I, I'm super interested in, I think it looks beautiful. I think, uh, it is, it is relatively inexpensive to have a sort of excellent adventure there right now. And, uh, I think that's where I'm interested in going. Hmm. That's a good, this, I love these questions cause it's always fun to hear the like, random things <laughs> that wouldn't have come up in conversation otherwise. Right. Um, so as we head into the end of the year, which I know can be a time of reflection and resolutions and goal setting, what's one goal that's on your mind for 2017? I, uh, I mean, aside from the obvious of like, you know, starting up a pie business in a new city, I'm excited to, to meet new friends I'm, I'm, I'm resolved in a very positive way to make new friends in Cincinnati. I think that it is really hard and it only gets harder the older you get. But I think, um, I'm excited at the idea of meeting awesome people. I think that it's going to be, it's going to take time. It's probably going to take a lot of pie, but I'm, I'm excited to meet the people that, uh, I'm going to be friends with in Cincinnati. So if anyone listening lives in Cincinnati and wants pie, they should reach out to you. If you need a friend who's also really good at making pie, I'm available. So the next question is about books. Which two to three books of any genre, any kind of book, would you say have had the biggest impact on you or maybe that you recommend or reread the most? Oh, I love this question. Although I'm sort of an avid reader, so it's really hard to pick. Um, I think one of my favorite books is The Time Traveler's Wife. And um, I would definitely recommend it. I'm sad that she didn't write any other books, but it takes place in Chicago, which just sort of like having lived there, anytime you read a book that like the characters interact in places that you have been to and that you also love, I think is, is sort of just wonderful and and kind of magical. So I read it when I lived in Chicago and it it sort of came, it became everything. Uh, I was like, okay, this is not only the perfect book, but it's set in a, in a place where I also feel at home. And so it sort of became this lovely book. Um, I reread the Harry Potter books a lot. <laughs> I know Me too. I reread them every year. But they're just these like epically beautiful stories. And so um, I definitely, if you haven't read them, you're crazy. Uh, but maybe skip the first one if you haven't read them and then just read all of them. And then if you feel like reading the first one, read the first one. But um, uh, what else do I, I reread all the time? I'm a big, I'm a big Pride and Prejudice uh, fan as well. I think strong, smart, funny women uh, should definitely, definitely always take the day. 
Those are such good suggestions. I'm going to put links to all of those in the show notes. Um, so the last question, when you look ahead at the next couple of months, what do you feel most excited about? Um, I'm really excited for the, the holidays, actually. I think that Thanksgiving is one of my favorite times of year. Um, and the excuse to sort of gather with friends and all of the food that you could possibly make um, is such a lovely thing. Um, and we also get to see my family for the Christmas holidays. So I'm excited to see to see them. Uh, I'm very excited for winter and fall and winter in general. It's a it's a it's my favorite of the two seasons. Uh, and so I'm very excited to put on sweaters and wear, uh, tall socks and, um, I'm excited to be cold. Uh, so I'm I'm into it. (laughs) I love it. So for people who are listening, what's the best place for them to find you and say hi online? Do you have a favorite, like, I don't know, platform to connect? Um, I love Instagram. I think that pies are inherently pretty. So I do a lot of, I do a lot of Instagramming, um, which is teeny pies. Um, And I also have a blog where I sort of talk about the adventures of taking these next few crazy steps. Um, So if you want to like read about what's happening and we're, we're definitely going to keep abreast of like what is happening with the, on the pie shop front. So if you want to like follow along the, the baby steps of a, of a blossoming pie shop, then uh, you should definitely stop by Teeny Pies. Uh, I think it's wordpress.teenypies.com. I love it. Well, all of those links will be in the show notes. Thank you so much. This was so much fun. Thank you. It was really wonderful talking to you. Thank you. And that's our show for today. Thanks so much for listening and for being part of the Real Talk Radio family. I couldn't do this without you. And as I said way back at the top of the episode, this is now a 100% listener-supported show. The show is made possible by people like Courtney. Hi, Courtney. Hi, Nicole. You are the only Courtney that I know with a, that spells your name with a K. <laughs> yeah, my parents wanted to be different. <laughs> no, I like it. I mean, that's like, I meet other Nicoles that have an H in their name, which I don't, <laughs> but it's funny. <laughs> anyway, we're going to play a quick three-question round of Would You Rather, which is my favorite game. So are you ready? Yes, I'm ready. Okay. Would you rather never be able to cut your fingernails and toenails ever again or never be able to feel excited ever again? Ooh, Um, definitely never be able to cut my fingers and toenails. As gross as that would be, I I like being excited. I agree. I feel like life would be boring if you couldn't be excited about stuff. Yeah, yeah. You know, I guess you could at least be an interesting conversation starter with your <laughs> like insane hand You just wear gloves all the time. I know, right? Um, okay. Would you rather wake up naked in a public bathroom with no idea how you got there or wake up with a tattoo on your chest that you could never remove? Oh, God. Um, <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah. I think I'm going to go with the tattoo. <laughs> Um, it, it would be another interesting story. I feel like, (laughs) yeah, that's true. And I feel like I would spend the rest of my life wondering what did I do to wind up naked in this public bathroom and never knowing would make me crazy. Yeah. (laughs) That's funny. Okay. So the last one, would you rather spend the rest of your life with a romantic partner who is your same age, but looks 12 years old or with someone who's your same age, but looks 80 years old? That's really hard. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, I, 
I'm leaning toward the 80-year-old one <laughs> just because I don't want to look like I'm babysitting my husband, like our entire relationship. But right. Yeah, or that you're like in an inappropriate relationship with a yeah, child. Exactly. So I yeah. agree. I agree. Um, okay, those are fun. So <laughs> why don't you introduce yourself to the rest of the listeners real quick. Tell everyone where you live and one thing that you are totally obsessed with lately. Um, hi, everyone. I'm Courtney. I'm from Arlington, Virginia. And one thing I'm totally obsessed with right now. Um, so this weekend was my birthday and my sister's birthday. And she made me she knitted me this mermaid blanket, like a mermaid tail blanket. And so I've just been obsessively like using that. <laughs> I don't Wait, know what do you mean a mermaid tail blanket? Like she crocheted this blanket where you like put your feet in and the end has a fin. Oh my God, that's amazing. Wait, so it's a blanket yeah. that you wear basically and then you become a yeah. mermaid? <laughs> yes. Uh, you have an amazing sister. That sounds fantastic. Oh <laughs> I need to see a picture of that. That's amazing. Um, definitely the most, most unique answer that I have received to the what are you obsessed with question, I think, ever. So that's great. Um, so you're a member of our Patreon support squad, meaning that you're one of the people that listeners can thank for making the podcast possible since you make a small and powerful pledge that helps fund the costs of producing the show each season. And I would love for you to share why you decided to support the show and maybe one thing you love about being in our community. Um, well, I just really love your podcast. And I it's like my favorite podcast to run to, or it really gets me motivated to run or just like on my way to work, it makes me happy. So I figured like I've heard other people say I wanted to put my money where my mouth is and support this podcast because I want it to continue. And I found so many like cool people to follow online um, through your conversations with them. So I really loved that. And I just love how um, interactive the community is and how you offer all these cool opportunities like this to be able to um show my support so well thanks yeah it's funny this when you just mentioned like this opportunity getting to the outros for me I feel like it's so super selfish on my part because all I want to do <laughs> is like get to know you guys right like you see download statistics of oh these people are listening to the show and who are you all and now I'm like okay wait let's actually who are you all come on the show so right. <laughs> it's amazing yeah. um, and I'm glad that you were brave and decided to join me for this Thanks. <laughs> and to everyone listening, if you love the podcast, if you want over 20 hours of bonus content, and if you want uh, to help us reach the funding goal we need to hit in order to keep the show going beyond the end of 2016, so beyond the end of this season, just go to patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette to make your pledge of $8 or more for each eight episode season. I can't tell you how much your support means to me, and I can't wait to get to know you better behind the scenes in our community. So until next time, here's a big virtual hug and a reminder that we're all just doing the best we can, and no matter what, we're in this together. 